Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 60 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I am Andy Stewart, fat guy, feeling fatter after watching Death Spa. And joining us tonight via Skype, you know him as a writer for such publications as Bloody Disgusting, NME, Scream Magazine and much more, it's Mr. Howard Gorman. Howard, hello. Hello Mitch and Andy, how are you doing? Thanks very much for the invite, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for doing this Howard and... On a personal level, massive thanks for bringing Death Spa to the table. It's a favourite of mine. Yeah, uh, Howard, Death Spa, um, a film hardwired into the DNA of this podcast. Uh, always glad to talk about it. Why did you choose it? Uh, it's, it's funny, actually. It's, it's one of the films that I've been meaning to watch for years. I only really got around to watching it about six months ago, so when I, uh, I was kind of investigating a few films with uh, which were kind of set in the, in, in the gym horror movies and uh, I just kind of came across it and realized that it's one of those movies that uh, when you when 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 the topic comes up in conversation about horror films with horror scenes that take place in gyms and um, everyone talks about things like um, the scene in Elm Street 4 or Demons 2 things like that and people do bring up this bar, but it's, it's one of the kind of one, the last ones that comes up in the conversation and I kind of just kind of felt it really needed a bit of uh, extra recognition yeah I mean it's it's interesting that you say that and it's something you only saw relatively recently because as with a lot of these I only saw it maybe last year or so as well and um, I'm kind of surprised having seen it and having seen a lot of films from this era of it in a kind of similar vein how little it seems to get discussed definitely um, I don't know why I mean, I mean personally I, I, I kind of I think it's a really timely film you know it's one of these these films that even though it was made so long ago um, you can compare it to things like the recent Chucky remake. Um, it definitely kind of fits in with the Alexa uh, generation. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was it was even it was it was it came out. Uh, yeah, I think it was a year, two years before Gremlins two, which was pretty much the same kind of premise. Now this this smart building going off on a, a death spree of its own. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I suppose that's a good it's yeah. uh, a good comparative point. Howard, don't know if you've listened to the podcast before. There is something that we do make everyone uh, everyone do before we really get into the meat of the conversation. So um, mm-hmm. what we're going to do is Andy is going to put 30 seconds on the clock. I'm going to count you in and right. we're going to ask you to, if you can, uh, <laughs> give us your best 30 second synopsis of uh, Death Spa. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, it's pretty difficult, but I can, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> pretty tricky. Okay. Don't worry, Howard, let me preface this by saying don't worry about your performance here because we have had some unbelievable shockers. Yeah, and compared to the performances in Death Spa, I don't think it would be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can say pretty confidently you will not be the worst. Right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Yeah, so uh, basically it's about um, a recent widower who, who's got his, he's got uh, his own smart health club, which is, is controlled by a computer. And... Things start to go wrong as they might in a horror movie like this, uh, with all kinds of spandex, puffy sleeves, humongoid hairdos. Uh, t- t- I don't know. Everything goes wrong. It's, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant. It's got a brilliant bar aesthetic about it. There's lashings and lashings of set splatter pieces. Um, uh, 
this more than is enough time. Time, I'm anyway. afraid I'm going to have to stop you there. Still not the worst by any means. No, not by a long shot. No, not by a long shot. No, 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 no. I think we should just dive right into this, and um, we do kick off. We get a very kind of interesting introduction to uh, the Star Body Health Spa. But uh, there's an ominous skyline, Mitch. I know you love an ominous skyline. I do love uh-huh. an ominous skyline. Um, yeah, I think the entire way that we get to look around the, the we get the kind of look around the place at the start, um, and then you meet Laura, Laura uh, dancing in that kind of weirdly lit room. That whole thing feels kind of like part flash dance, past, uh, flash dance, part, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. part <laughs> Suspiria. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I think as an intro. Just out of interest, what did you? think about the opening shot when it kind of comes down for Marlborough Man and Cranes Down because I was reading a bit about that I just wanted just want, just wondered what you what you felt about that the opening shot it, it doesn't do too much for me to be honest no, no not at all I mean I, I like the the matte lightning skyline behind it that tickles no, the, me the, 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 I mean, the reason I ask is just because I was, I was reading about it earlier this morning and um, they just went out of their way to really really kind of I mean they got a whole big uh, dolly crane and they lifted a, a woman up sky high on the crane <laughs> To, to create that shot just because they wanted to kind of start from the Marlboro Man and kind of crane down to see this health club to kind of really create a massive blockbuster movie feeling on uh, so I just wanted to see what you thought about it really. I mean, I, I, do I think they succeeded in that I'm not entirely sure if they managed to create a blockbuster, blockbuster. feeling it feels like yeah. a high end porno <laughs> Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Um, if, if that feel, it feels kind of strange that you would go out your way to kind of go for a kind of blockbuster aesthetic for a film that then goes on to be so kind of um, insular. Yeah. And yeah. kind of so largely set around one location and things like that. But we meet uh, Laura here, like you said, Mitch. She, she's a legit actress. Or she certainly is now. I mean, uh, she's Brenda Back. She was in Hot Shots Part 2, Under Siege 2. She was also in Demon Knight. Yeah, can I argue with yeah. those credentials? I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, credentials or not, she's not around for long. Well, that's not yeah. true. Well, I guess no, no, sorry, no, she's like she doesn't. She, well, she's not. She's not around at full strength for long, anyway. This is probably the last time in the film that she has full visual acuity. Yes, that's certainly true. <laughs> 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 um, this uh, now uh, we we kind of timed it, and uh, the first piece of nudity that you get in this film comes in at five minutes forty. All oh, right, five minutes forty exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's by no means the last, Mitch. Uh, if anyone out there is, is into that kind of thing, if they like their films uh, violent and full of nudity, then this film will will keep you uh, sated. No, it's funny you mentioned uh, the nudity. Yeah, I was, I mean, obviously, I'm, ju- I'm jumping the gun here, but I, I was reading about the uh, famous. Demonic shower tile scene. Oh, mm-hmm. sure, sure, of course. <laughs> and uh, they, they were all actually porn stars that they they hired to do that that shot. But the, funnily, um, they expected to kind of like take about twenty minutes to do the shoots, and uh, the director and the DOP kind of managed to lengthen it out for about three hours until they were told it was time to That sounds suspiciously like two people who just very much enjoyed being around a lot of naked women. Howard, I totally thought you were going to be like, that was supposed to take 20 minutes and it actually took three days and four nights. (laughs) I'm sure it would have been if I could have been. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Laura, uh, yeah, not killed, but... um, Pretty badly, pretty badly injured here. What do, what do we think of this in terms of how it plays out? Uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't think I would be unfair in saying that it's certainly it's unclear uh, what's happening to her. The whole film's pretty unclear all the way through, really. Oh, <laughs> Excuse me, but, but no, but but that kind of adds to the whole thing, really. It's kind of it's, it's really it just, that's like the epitome of eighties films. It's just like you just we just love watching these films that you didn't know what the fuck was going on, but you just. <laughs> 
carried on and couldn't wait to see what happened. Yeah, I mean, that was... That was why I enjoyed it so much, really. Yeah, I had I had very serious questions about yeah yeah what actually was happening to her here, but certainly does some pretty serious damage um, in the sauna. Yeah, she's doused in corrosive fluid, which only seems to affect her eyes. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's basically fine apart from that after that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like literally in the next frame, her eyes are fucked. But the yeah, rest yeah, is totally she fine. is completely. She's just as beautiful as she is the first time you see her, except for the. Majority of the film after this point, she has hilarious gauze pads over her eyes. That was Bird Box 20 years before it was supposed to come, I guess. We get the kind of we get the kind of full extent of her injuries explained to us um, upon the arrival of Michael Evans, health club owner, entrepreneur, leather jacket enthusiast. I believe he was a real gym owner. That's what I was going to say to you. Yeah, he used to own a gym before work, before that, yeah. <laughs> So like, in an unrelated way, or was it just an actor going really method and just purchased a gym while he needed you was doing this role? I think I have no, I have no idea. I was cast actually. I think the mistake you've made, there, Mitch, is assuming that he was an actor <laughs> and not just a guy who owned a gym. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe maybe that's how they got him. It was a casting call. Yeah. Or maybe they just they just dived into a gym and they said we're just going to uh, do a few uh, workouts and decided to shoot the whole film in yeah. the gym and just use him as an extra. I think that probably sums up exactly how this film came to be. <laughs> um, after we kind of get this very quick whip round in everyday session at the Star Buddy Health Spa, I think that it's important to uh, zero in on the fact that the next thing that we get is um, the porta cabin where the exercise equipment initially, but we quickly learn literally every electrical appliance in the gym is controlled by one gigantic supercomputer. Oh, I. Uh, this this computer is far too elaborate for a gym. This is NASA level. Yeah, that's actually what I think that was the actual. The, the whole idea came from. I think they actually had a, a script that uh, I can't remember who it was that wrote the original script. But then I was reading that they, the the second guy that came in totally erased that, and he said, "Right, we need a ghost in the machine." And that was the whole thing. Kind of started from the, the actual computer rather than the actual gym. And yeah. All right. Okay. That yeah, kind of makes sense. I mean, that, in fact, that does make that make that explains a lot. That's. One of the things I like the most about the film is that kind of ghost in the machine thing. Definitely, I mean, that was why I mentioned the, the Chucky remake. You know, it's, it's, yeah. I, I think that's why I think it was like light years ahead of uh, of anything else, really. Because I mean, there were so many movie films. Obviously, Arnold Schwarzenegger was all the race, but we'd never seen kind of any high tech, smart building or anything until until this one, really. I mean, Gremlins Two, as I said before, came just afterwards, but this was the first one that we'd really kind of seen anything like it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Death Spa, blazing a trail. <laughs> I really like the uh, the cop duo uh, or kind of investigative duo that we're introduced to here, um, Fletcher and Stone. Okay, you're you like them. Uh, I, 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 I'm kind of finding it hard to articulate what specifically I liked about them, but yes. Yeah, I don't know. I think they were kind of were the two things that I really didn't get on with in this film. Really. Ah, interesting. Why is that? I don't know. I just, I just. I felt it was, I don't know, I just really didn't feel there was a lot of need for any kind of police activity in there, really. I, I kind of, because it, it was like insulin set in the gym, I would have loved to have just seen it all like sorted out without any police investigations going on. That didn't really kind of fit in the film, I felt. Okay, let okay. me ask you this then, Howard. Jumping ahead a little bit, what's your thoughts then on the involvement of the paranormal investigator, Dr. Lido Mori, later in the film? I, I would have liked them to do a lot of, do more giving him some more scenes and kind of really gone down that paranormal yeah. <laughs> a lot more. I mean, I think the original script, actually, they, they were going to have, um, instead of it being so paranormal, they, it was actually going to have some dodgy janitor who lived in the basement 
up here and it was all his doing kind of like the boy or housebound or something like that okay right right okay, right, right. Yeah. Okay. but because it because they didn't go down that 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 route i would have loved to kind of see them do kind of more investigation i'm trying to think of films with other paranormal investigators that kind of work really well uh, right damn, i can't but i think they could have he could have done with a lot more scenes i would have preferred more sort of more focus on that than the, than the police for, yeah i for think that, i mean like when, like when you say it out loud dialing down the police procedural element and dialing up the paranormal phenomena does kind of make sense. Do you know what it feels like, just from what we've been saying about the various kind of story aspects and scripts and stuff, it feels like somebody took all the scripts, dropped them on the floor, it kind of shuffled the pages back together, but it was just a kind of mishmash of all the different scripts. I don't know, but at that stage we got all the Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff was going on, so obviously now everyone was kind of like Jim Crazy, so obviously it kind of made sense to, 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 to be in the gym, but then it just mixed, yeah, you're right. It just mixed all kinds of crazy stuff from the '80s and and kind of and went with it. Uh, and I, I, actually, the the, guy, the the producers that were involved and even the director, it was the director's first first movie. They just they weren't even they had never been involved in a horror movie before in their life. And that, so I think someone just told them that it, it now was it was there was a niche in the market, and they just kind of jumped on board and just wanted to do something as crazy in camp as possible. Well, they certainly makes, succeeded with that. I would say, definitely, yeah. Um, so, right, I think that for the for the benefit of anyone that is listening without having seen this film, I think we need to connect some dots really quickly here because um, in the kind of um, yeah, in the kind of early beats of Fletcher and Stone's investigation into this incident, we kind of it's revealed to us that Michael, the gym owner's wife, Catherine, has recently died um, as a consequence of self-immolation. And her twin brother, David, is the kind of uh, IT guy who oversees the supercomputer in the gym. I love how incredibly weird this film is. It pains to make David immediately, like, you know, kind of classic shady IT weirdo from around this time. <laughs> my, my, the kind of like apex of this being when they ask him what he was doing on the night of the incident and he said he was at home hacking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was almost like almost very Columbo. It's like it was almost as if they were revealing he was it was him from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do. Yeah, exactly. I think that like they're really trying to shine a spotlight on him on the suspect list, like from from the get go. Oh, by the way, if you're wondering if Ken Forey's in this film, he is, uh, and he wears very short shorts for the entire film. And when he's not wearing short shorts, he's wearing the most ludicrous jacket I've ever seen. Man, <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know what you would call that. Is it a caftan? <laughs> Uh, to, talking of clothing, um, before you, I mean, have you both seen? I mean, I know, Andy, you've seen the film before. Mitch, have you seen the film before? Just the once, but yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, but going in, yeah, I mean, I imagine you've seen the poster beforehand, no? Oh, yes, yes, yep, yes, yep. yeah. Uh-huh. Did, 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 did the, I mean, the poster with the, this woman with the skull and lycra kind of doesn't, it's not exactly what you expect when uh, when you watch the film, it kind of, it's kind of a red herring, no? Uh, yes, I completely <laughs> agree. It does not mesh at all with the events of the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, apart from the guy with the the chest expander thing. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's yeah. there's the guy who da- yeah the, the guy in the background in the poster. The guy is... with the thong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. His 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 death is very accurately depicted. The rest of it, yeah, it's um uh it's absolutely. In fact, actually, just very quick sideline. At one of our live shows, Andy showed me this poster with no uh with no text around it and um, the whole idea was that I just basically had to pitch a film based on just the image Right. and uh, what I settled on was a gym instructor who's killed in a freak accident and has to confront all of his life's kind of uh, sins as he goes through a version of hell that's set in the gym and I called it Feel the Burn <laughs> Feel the Burn 
Okay, that would have been a good uh, tangle, yeah, super fun. But, um, but I thought, um, but yeah, I, I assumed way more supernatural, way more smoky, demonic, stuff like that. I think that it's, um, I don't, ex- I didn't expect it to be a workout slash tech horror at all. Yeah. <laughs> One of my first loves is in this film. Go uh, on. Chelsea Field, who played right. Tila in Master of the Universe. Is uh, in this as Darla. Um, she just kind of she's only in it for like two scenes. Falls off a diving board, um, right? And then turns up kind of dressed up. But uh, I t- again, up until watching it again tonight, I had totally forgotten that she was in this. So that was a uh, that was quite lovely. No, definitely a jumping off point in uh, in her career anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I think, Excellent. Uh, this would, I mean this would have been after Masters of the Universe. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is a step up from Masters of the Universe. A jumping off point. Oh right. <laughs> um, speaking of which, yeah, let's talk about that. See the um, so she goes uh, to attempt to dive. The diving board kind of falls off as she jumps. Um, see in terms of what this lay the groundwork for later on. See when you get these kind of intense close-ups of the rickety screws and stuff like that. Um, Final Destination. Exactly, that's exactly right. what I was thinking. I was about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's something I kind of like. I'm not saying it take t- excuse from that, but it was immediately. I was going to say, much. What's your implication here? <laughs> not a thing. Uh, but yeah, no. Um, I yeah, I quite like the scene. I think it's kind of cool. I mean, it's like there's like there's no real build because it happens so fast. But it's quite. But and I quite like the fact that when it happens and they need to kind of look into it, Fletcher and Stone are just still there from the first suspicious thing, so they can just go into the next room and start investigating this too. Yeah, I think it's just a budget thing. Though. I mean, they just. I think they just wanted to go overboard with all the all the gore as much as they could. And the diving, the diving bot scene didn't really give them much, <laughs> much, much moving space, not to uh, much space to maneuver on creating any gore. So they just kind of left that as it was, I guess. Yeah, it's going to race through. No. There's this kind of side story that kind of runs through. It's never fully explored in any massive detail, but it involves Michael's lawyer and this other woman trying to bring the club down so that they can sell it, I believe. And uh-huh. it turns out that they're responsible for certain things that happened, including the, the corrosive attack on Laura and the dodgy diving board and stuff like that. But it, it seems in the moment that they're very much controlled by the computer, as if the computer can control screws, because the screws are very visibly like coming unscrewed. Again, I just think it's. I think they're just like trying to, trying to throw in uh, homdingers out left, right, and centre, and I was just kind of. I think they just kind of, especially with so many rewrites. I think they just kind of right. What can we do here? What can we do here? What can we do here? And and that the, the legal stuff just kind of. They're just trying to add stuff there just to kind of mess your head up a bit and it just. <laughs> doesn't make sense but it's just brilliant at the same time yeah that, that, that totally feels like a b story that got lost in the rewrite but i'm quite glad it's there because it brings in some really like especially later on which we'll get to but it brings in some really kind of ridiculous stuff that i'm kind of there for can we talk a little bit about michael uh yeah what about um, him specifically his womanizing ways yeah he's a character who's uh written just to be completely irresistible in every way uh he has recently bereaved yes he is seeing the, the iPad blind lady, Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also, in this time, agrees to a threesome with Hilary Banks from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and another girl. Yeah. Yeah. Again, plot, it's, it's all in the plot. Is we, want, we want to think that we've got a, 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 jealous, a jealous dead wife, so as many women as possible is just going to make it more and more plausible. <laughs> is the thing that that laid the ground for over her dead body, the rom-com with Matthew McConaughey and Eva Longoria? <laughs> 
Um, yeah, but like, yeah, but Michael, yeah, you're right. He's totally just like framed as being this absolute smooth talking Lothario who just batters through the film, just seducing basically everyone. Also, a big fan of Native American waistcoats. Yeah, has a massive collection of those yeah. in his office. His office is bedecked with them, like covered in them. <laughs> Bizarre. He, he's never, but he's never seen wearing one. Uh, <laughs> just. Str- <laughs> Strictly for decorative purposes only. Um, I think it's really funny around here. Again, David just um, is played off as being an absolute psychopath, but he's like they start kind of talking about the fact because obviously around this time we talked about the guy who gets killed by the kind of chess compactor thing. Yeah, which I think as, right. as a death is not a bad one. I think it's I think it's pretty that's good. fine. It's good. It's, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. I, I, I actually read about that before I saw it, and I was kind of expecting something a bit more elaborate. Uh-huh. It's really good. I'm, 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 I just I expected more. I expected more rib cracking, more blood, more. I mean, it's, it's good. It's fun, but um, yeah, I was expecting to be a bit more out there. It's quite. It's quite abrupt, isn't it? It's quite, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite tame compared to some of the, the deaths that come later on, because there's some pretty outlandish graphic stuff that comes down the line. This still feels very much like a ramping up. Yeah, that's fair. It's kind of, kind of part of the build. Yeah. But yeah, just just after this, so obviously um, they're kind of investigating what could be causing all of these incidents. And I love the fact that when they suggest that it might be the fault of the supercomputer, David takes massive umbrage with the fact that they're suggesting perfectly understandably that a computer that controls an entire building might be responsible for multiple injuries and two deaths. <laughs> 1989 what do you expect also um howard quite like to know your theory on this because we were talking about this earlier what do you think is the rough time frame for this film like in real time how much how much time do you think passes story-wise between the beginning and end of this film Um, it's 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 tricky right it's tricky it could be between 20 minutes and three months (laughs) 20 minutes (laughs) because you really don't know because it just it all feels so stuck together that it could take place in like 20 minutes. It's like the first death happens, call the police, get bring him in, bring in the paranormal, and then oh, but no, I guess I imagine it's supposed to take it take course over about two or three weeks, but it just feels like about 20 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I, I feel like uh, like I said, I think Fletcher and Stone haven't left the building by the time the second death happens. Like no chance, they're still there. They're still on the clock from the first time. I love the idea of a, of 20 minutes going to last an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like Interstellar. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> my favourite kind of, one of my favourite sequences in the whole film is uh, the little montage that comes when um, Michael brings Laura home from the hospital. Oh my god, this is fucking hilarious. This bit creases me every single time. It's so funny. Like, she has these ridiculous oversized sunglasses over her iPads. <laughs> 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 The first thing he does is give her a present, which she can't see. (laughs) (laughs) She has not had time to adjust to blindness um, so that she can tell textures and figure out what things are just by touch. She is literally new blind. Then there's the incredible dinner scene. The very, I think it's very sexy. Um, how with, how with the asparagus are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I love that it's like supposed to be this real kind of sexually charged, real, real virgin on erotica, and they might even just do it at the table. But it's the most limp, wilted piece of asparagus. Like, yeah, it's it's. I, I can't even imagine the smell. I mean, she, she's blind. She might. Should she might? I think you're just taking a piss right next to her. <laughs> It's, it's also like it's like the most flaccid phallic metaphor I've ever seen in any film. Yeah. 
It doesn't paint Michael in particularly good light. No, it's just like, yeah, just kind of like dangling it seductively and it just kind of like wilts apologetically about <laughs> my poor woman. Honest to God. No, um, this entire thing is straight out of a comedy film. I love it. It's it's an absolute riot. Also, by the way, just after the asparagus, it cuts to her lying in bed playing with a rose. Probably quite dangerous for a blind woman to play with a thorny rose. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's uh, okay. I'm gonna come out and say that I think that there were elements of this montage that were poorly considered. <laughs> Do you know what else is poorly considered? The fact that Michael leaves his recently blind girlfriend to potter about the most dangerous house for a blind woman to walk about in I've ever seen in a film. It has drop off points, it has loads of stairs without railings. It has sharp corners, glass, like glass partitions. It is an absolute death trap for a newly I think, I think he does it on purpose, though. Yeah, <laughs> he starts giving a rose and then the rest is just bound to happen. <laughs> he, just, he just stands around and spins <laughs> around in circles until our friends are right at the door. <laughs> um, no, that that happens later, though, as well. Yeah, like um, uh, when David comes to the house, when uh, Michael's not there... And the doorbell rings, and genuinely, when like when it cuts back to her just kind of blindly feeling her way along the counter trying to get to the door, I mean, it's really, really funny. <laughs> I'm sure the reality would be quite different, Mitch. But, yes, I'm uh, sure it would be way more harrowing. Certainly, for, uh, for within the kind of confines of this film, it's absolutely hilarious. Yes, I, I, compl- I, I completely agree. Do you think it was actually meant to be this hilarious or not? I mean, I, I think a lot of it was... Probably not meant to be as, as funny as we, we think it is. Oh God, no, no, I, I really don't. And, and, and specifically the, the kind of the, I mean, this woman walking around with these two patches on her eyes, kind of serious stuff. But at the same time, I mean, I imagine back then they were, it was supposed to be serious that part. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I guess. I, I don't, I don't think that there's any attempt to play any of this for laughs, which is baffling. No, I get the impression that this was quite an earnest attempt at showing the, 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 that their love can thrive through this terrible life-altering incident, which has left her, like I said earlier, absolutely fine, despite being doused in acid. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, in about 10 minutes of the film's runtime, she is fine. Her eyes are open. She can see. She just has a lot of eyeshadow on. This, this, this makes me adjust my theory on uh, the time frame for this film back out to like six months. Just by, by, just... by, by the end of this podcast, we'll be talking a decade, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just actually, like um, at this point as well, at the end of this montage, he invites her to move in with him, and I like the fact that she's just like, "Oh, we just need to go by." the spa so I can get my things as though all of her earthly possessions are just in the locker room <laughs> but, but then, he, but then he, he drives her there and effectively is just like uh, yeah you just go in and get your stuff I'll wait in the car she can't fucking see man he doesn't, go, he doesn't wait in the car he sits moodily in the control room like she is literally again bumping into stuff like crashing into lockers <laughs> And he's, and he's watching it, and he's watching it on screen. He's <laughs> loving every minute of it. Yes. <laughs> he's going to send this to Beadle and get two hundred and fifty pound. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's amazing. Um, somewhere in the middle of all this nonsense, we uh, lose Marcy. Who? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's Marcy is her name, but yeah, she um, she dies via bolt to the back of the neck. Laura, uh, while gathering her stuff, just um, obliviously bumbles past her corpse, so uh, that kicks around in there for a little while longer. 
also, I quite like the flashback that we get to um, Catherine's death here. <laughs> this is also funny. Well, what was that uh, that, that, that laugh about there? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andy, explain yourself. It's kind uh, of a, I, an think, I love that uh, when the stuntman sets himself on fire when he's, when he's supposed to be Catherine, despite the fact that she's wheelchair-bound and in the parlance of the film, a cripple, she can run quite fast. <laughs> When called up when she is on fire. <laughs> it's a good spot. Well, but she's been in the best bar for years before that. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess muscle, if anything's... Muscle memory, no? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess if anything's going to get you up and running, uh, fire will probably do it. Yeah, yeah. Straight after this, now we did touch on this briefly before, um, Dr. Lido Moray, paranormal investigator and uh, exposition drone, uh, <laughs> is introduced here. Um, I think that the opening scene we get of um, Dr. Lido Moray is pretty inspired because I just think I think it's really funny that he like alternates between really and like incredibly ominous like local haunting stories and just like very convivial small talk <laughs> and bragging he talks yeah. a lot about how amazing he is <laughs> he just brags all the way through I, I, I don't know I, I just I would I just would have loved to see him kind of get some real contact with the paranormal a lot more in, in the film it would have just made so much more sense and kind of just see him drastically fail a lot more than he does yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he he, he kind of uses this little one thing on a on a cameo brooch of uh, Catherine's to determine some pretty, I mean, some pretty deep stuff about how she died and what was going on with her in the run up to her death. The fact that she was pregnant, she endured a rough pregnancy and it paralysed her, and then she set herself on fire. And um, Michael says, "You could have read that in any newspaper." No. <laughs> <laughs> But again, I think I think it was, it, this is just it was just bringing him into instead of using him as, a, as kind of a paranormal investigator, they just brought him into kind of to to, to tell the story, you know, the backstory. Oh, which is a shame, really. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's actually that's a good way of putting it. Actually, yeah, the the fact that he's a paranormal investigator counts for almost nothing in terms of the actual meat of the story. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's great. I mean, it serves its purpose perfectly. But I just would have loved to have seen him kind of not only use it to tell the backstory, but to really kind of bring it into the story and, and kind of serve a purpose there. Yeah, like make some, yeah. make some proper contact. You're right, I hadn't really considered that, but it does feel like kind of a missed opportunity. However, I do like the fact that he's um, uh, he decides to go undercover into the gym as an insurance investigator, um, which is nice. Fletcher and Stone are back as well, and at this point, another death. Um, the red-headed threesome participant, or would-be threesome participant from earlier, uh, gets a note from air quotes Michael telling her to follow him into the basement or to come down and meet him in the basement kind of thing in Freddy's basement <laughs> yeah did you, did you get an Elm Street vibe from the basement hours definitely definitely yeah yeah for such a high tech gym that has an incredibly industrial basement yeah very dingy dangerous yeah, I don't know. also that, that scene felt really out of place I don't know yeah just felt like a completely different different setting, and then all the smoke that suddenly came on through the. I think I'm getting the right the right scene. Oh well, the smoke suddenly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. on the floor, the one now. Yeah. Yeah, you're quite right. You're quite right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest. I really like the the set piece, and I really like the death. But it does seem like they went back and shot this death in a totally different set, and the same with Doctor Lido More's death. They feel so out of place, and and. From what we know of the gym upstairs and stuff, it, it, yeah, it's been this kind of tacked on now as if it was, yeah, it's kind of tapping into the zeitgeist, you know, of the late 80s movies, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think like um, I, I yeah, I don't think I think that both of those things are important to the story, but how they're presented, both yeah, you're right, they totally feel like afterthoughts. Sorry, how is the death of the redheaded threesome participant important to the story? <laughs> 
Look, I just wanted to know more about her, okay? It's important to the story only in so much as it's just one less person that Michael's going to have sex with. <laughs> Excuse me, like, like, that threesome is now a twosome. That counts for something. I don't know. I mean, I'd be... oh, but there's plenty more. There's plenty more. So he could soon find some more. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah he could walk five, five yards and find another person. The man has no problem. This is very true. Um, right around right around this time, we did talk about this briefly. David shows up at the house when Michael's gone, has this kind of very tense conversation with Laura. Again, the tension is totally undercut by the fact that the entire time this is happening, Laura's kind of fumbling blindly around the perimeters of all the groups. <laughs> David's been entirely creepy here, like to an outrageous degree. Yeah, again, it's just, it's just they just used him as the. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's just Colombo material again. It's just this this guy they want us to believe from the very from the word go that he is because of it all. That's not entirely untrue <laughs> in the end. But Mitch, you forgot to mention <laughs> the fact that that girl with the red hair as the second person to be dissolved in corrosive chemicals. Yeah, yeah, far more effectively it seems. Yeah, the actual the actual effects of her death are really good. I think they're pretty good. Oh yeah. no, the, all, the, all the effects are really good. Actually, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I was reading earlier on that as soon as, as soon as the uh, the actors got on set, the gym was full of buckets of blood. That was all they were interested in. As soon as they got on set, that was that was that was it. They were, all they wanted was blood spatter everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say they followed through on that pretty nicely. Yeah, and in, in my personal experience of making films, that's all I give a fuck about as well. <laughs> <laughs> the more the merrier. <laughs> Dr. Lido is dispatched pretty unkindly. Um, Very yeah. funny, though. Again, yeah. That's brilliant. That's a great gift. That's a gift that's going around. That's brilliant. Oh, yeah. I believe that, yeah. Um, yeah, this, this death is amazing. Um, in that he's uh, confronted by an, at this point, mysterious woman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the spectre of Catherine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's obviously pretty heavily implied. He tries, to sh- he tries to shoot the ghost, which is my favourite thing that anyone ever does in any film. <laughs> Um, gets his hand blown off for his trouble and then seems to get thrown onto a giant cheese grater? Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> yeah Obviously. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with Howard, what's your point? <laughs> he, is, he is thrown incredible distances, both vertically and horizontally. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think it's incredibly funny. It might be my favourite death in here because you don't see that much apart from his hand exploding. But it's just very satisfying and very funny. In fact, this might be a good juncture to have the favourite death conversation. Uh, Howard, yours? Yeah, I'm between that one. Um, even though it doesn't, it's not particularly um, graphic, uh, the shower scene just I just had me crack it. just cracked me up all, all the way through. It's just the, the idea that these tiles <laughs> could be possessed by something and suddenly fly off and... I, yeah. Smack all these women in the boobs is just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just realising yeah, we've, we've kind of we've kind of blown past that without discussing it, and it's um, an incredible set piece, Mitch. It's remarkable. Yeah, I actually I can't believe that we almost got past it in the story and didn't mention it. No matter, it's, what... it's definitely one you got to watch in slow motion. Not because of the obviously because it's gratuitous nudity, but just watching tiles fly off in slow motion is just brilliant. And you see the tricks and it's what. See, yeah. no matter whether it's the supernatural element of this film, whether it's the tech element of this film whether it's uh, some kind of insurance scam or scam to get the gym sold and get some, make some money this does not make the slightest lick of sense oh, this is absolutely like a classy set piece at the expense of logic which I love you cannot imbue tile with any kind of sentience <laughs> it can't be done but it's fucking great to watch 
it's brilliant to watch, but we, we, we've, we've got Ginger Dead Man, so what do you can't really... <laughs> I was going to say, and of course, the thing that the the sentient tile film that it laid the groundwork for was, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but again, no, it's, it's, it's another uh, Final Destination set piece, really. I mean, if you... yeah, 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 I could see that. Yeah, not a million miles off. I wouldn't say. Um, or kind of like a lawyer slash conspiring to get the Jim sold B story, if you could call it that, kind of unravels here as Michael goes to the the lawyer Tom's house and his partner Priscilla. Michael's attire here is um, remarkable. I like that. Like I kind of just assume <laughs> that this is his confrontation jacket. Yeah, he's given up wearing a top. He just wears a leather jacket and jeans, and he looks extremely haggard in the space of one scene. Well, wouldn't you be? Yeah, I believe there was a. I think I read something that there was a hell of a lot of narcotics flying around on this set. It seems uh, quite clear. I know. I think it's just uh, it's just the eighties, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone was doing cocaine all the time. <laughs> you mean? <laughs> The scene in Priscilla and Tom's house has one of my favourite scenes of visible crew equipment that I've ever seen in, in my life. There oh, is I, did, I missed that. Oh, oh it's, I, I, I'm, I've got a really bad eye for this kind of thing, so Andy just had to shout, microphone, and uh, it is, it's unbelievable. It's, we'll try and find a screenshot and send it to you. It's very clear oh, and very prolonged. It's just like someone just standing with a microphone. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, uh, but you, you can put it down to the computer that was running in the gym, surely. <laughs> the computer that runs Tom and Priscilla's house. Well, that make a perfect sequel. We can actually kind of make the thing almost like a a, a new nightmare. No, but oh yeah, now you're talking. Now you're talking. <laughs> to kill the Death Bar crew. Yeah, this is this is the uh, kill a microphone. This is this is this is the meta Death Bar sequel that I didn't know that I needed. By this point as well. Uh, it's important to mention that we've seen some pretty troubling, or we've heard some pretty troubling stuff going on between David and his previously dead twin sister. Yeah, um, a couple of couple of pretty strange cutaways, kind of planting some seeds here, Herod. Where uh, we're getting this kind of like, yeah, maybe maybe the film's kind of uh, nudging David into the limelight wasn't so much of a mistake after all. Because, like we say, um, the kind of reveal of what's eventually happening here, it's fair to say that David's complicit in it to some to some extent. Yeah, yeah, it definitely goes into kind of psycho territory yeah. there in a way. But then it's also slightly hinted at that there was perhaps some incestuous relationship between the twins. Oh, you, oh did you think? Yeah, because that. there's a real... Uh, I mean, even my wife Jackie said when we were watching it that there was a real kind of... There's a moment where he's like moaning kind of orgasmically and she's like, yeah, doesn't that feel better now and all uh, that stuff? Yeah, okay. So yeah. That, that, that would kind of add... A lot to the story, especially if she was pregnant not long before. And oh, oh, oh. oh. Jesus, Howard! <laughs> your fault, you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's that's putting this down a very sinister road. That's that's super dark. Um, I uh, I think it's really funny here. Um, just around this. Michael kind of resolves. He's absolutely certain that this is all Dave's doing. So he gets uh, Fletcher and Stone and uh, they go to David's house, which is precisely as weird as um, you'd expect it to be. What I think is really funny is that they come in and find all this incriminating stuff, none of which would be admissible because they've come storming in without a warrant. (laughs) (laughs) So Fletcher and Stone, useless to the story, but also quite shite police. Did you notice that Fletcher is eating in every single scene? Yeah, did you caught this? Fletcher is putting food in his mouth literally all the time. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was obviously just obviously going against the grain, you know, the whole Death Spa gym club aesthetic. You know, I was just, yeah, just bringing yeah. a copy. It was, it was just exactly the opposite. Yeah, just to make him look like a total slob kind of thing. There's that other guy as well who's clearly, like, you see him quite often in the gym. Uh, the one, yeah, the one who's trying to work out who's, yeah. Yeah, he, he, that's like me, it. the guy that's like, He's trying, God bless him, but it's just not working. (laughs) (laughs) The guy who missed his induction, so he doesn't really know how to use the equipment, so it has no physical benefit whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) One kind of horror trope that I didn't necessarily, that this film eventually ends up playing into, that I probably didn't expect it to, was assembling all the characters at a party. Yeah, right. But just purely because um, it it just it seems like a strange choice, like to have your party in a gym where loads of people recently died. But also, <laughs> like, um, as well as just in general, just having it in a gym is quite a strange choice. But um, I like the fact that at this point they put an all points bulletin out for David, who is kind of like um possibly a danger to himself and possibly in drag and it's like oh, possibly that, a psycho it's like oh is that is that wording <laughs> is it and i love the fact that it's like oh there's definitely no chance that he can blend in undetected at the fancy dress party that's currently going on at the gym where all those people die <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, this is, i mean like, this was in scream as well i mean look at this everyone's wearing the same scream yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah i love that michael phones the gym and just speaks to some random stoner guy and he's like, listen, you know my dead wife? You remember my dead wife? And the guy's like, sure, man. And he says, look, well, if you see my dead wife at the party in the gym, don't approach her. And certainly don't let her out of the computer room. And the guy's like, yeah, no problem, bro. Uh, and then literally two seconds later, she walks into the computer room with him in it and he tries to fuck her. And it's like... <laughs> Also, there's this initial kind of like when he's like, "Do you remember my dead my dead wife?" He's like, "Yes, I remember her vividly." And when she comes in, there's very much a like, "Who the fuck are you?" Yeah. Um, that character, I believe, is Jeffrey. All right, sure, thanks, but who, um, who, who? Upon looking at him, if you'd given me a hundred guesses, I would not have guessed Jeffrey. No, no, I'd have heard him as a Chad or a, a Bud. A what? A Bud? Yeah, yeah sure, sure. <laughs> Best friends to the end, especially if you're gonna fuck your dead wife. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he doesn't get the, ch- the chance to fuck her because she crushes his face. <laughs> um, yeah, um, this is one of those ones where like it's super understated in the moment when she kills him. You just kind of like you you know that he's dying, but like you don't see a great deal. But when they find his body later, I think it looks really cool. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the deaths are really really kind of weird. You just kind of you expect something and just go somewhere else, and they come out of nowhere. Yeah, pretty much all of the deaths. I think his face looks good, but I don't feel it matches the well, what, the execution. What, the, no. what was done to him. Um, Laura's at the gym as well, of course. She uh, can see now. She's uh, absolutely fine. She's uh, a, yeah, she's 100% she, fine. Her yeah. eyes are just a little bit bruised now, but certainly her pads are off. She is wearing sunglasses to protect her eyes, which I think is, is right. Yeah. But uh, I don't know how this happens. I, For the life of me, I couldn't tell you the, the actual machinations of how she winds up strapped to a tanning bed being burnt again by the ghostly visage of Catherine. Like, one minute she's drinking a cocktail and the next minute she's strapped to a sunbed. Uh, I can't answer that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's, it, it's just got the feel of a scene-missing situation. Because, like, see, because um, right at the start, when I was trying to write notes for this, I felt like every time I looked down to write, I looked up and a new character was introduced, and I was like, wait, pause it, who's that? Um, but, like, so when this happened, I was like, oh, has this happened again? Have I, like, have I just, like, looked down to write and missed her getting, like, grabbed or something? And then Andy, and I was like, wait, what's going on here? And Andy was like, yeah, no, there's no there's no obvious route to how she's ended up tied to the sunbed. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, it's all building, of course, to the ultimatum that uh, Catherine is um, is going to give Michael. Yep. Also, Ken Foray is dressed like a genie. <laughs> <laughs> because what this scene needed was comic relief. <laughs> it's a shame he wasn't painted blue, but yeah. I actually, I, I actually think that the relationship between Marvin, uh, Ken Foray's character, and Michael is the film's central love story. Because there's a lot of them just kind of cavorting with each other, and there's some of them kind of just so, there's, so some, chat, yeah. there's some horseplay in the swimming pool. <laughs> like, their relationship is truly heartwarming. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of macho uh, uh, bromance going on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of smacking each other on the ass. Yeah, I, I, but yeah, I would say there's more perceptible affection in that relationship than there is in any of the romantic ones that are going on in the film. You, you just imagine Michael feeding Marvin a bit of floppy asparagus. <laughs> Um, but yes, Catherine at this point seeming to be a, bo- um, a ghost that can operate machinery in the human realm is about to kill everyone unless Michael joins her in death. However, that's kind of explained sort of in that we realise that there's this kind of... Uh, the the psycho. A, du- a duality. The, the, yes. Like, uh-huh. um, is David it, possessed by Catherine? Is it something uh, more in David's mind? Yeah, it's um, I I quite like the way that this is played out, kind of ambiguously, and how it kind of like every time it cuts back, it's either Catherine or David kind of thing. I think that this entire thing is pretty cool. Again, I like the idea of it. I think the execution doesn't sell it quite well at all. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, the idea is brilliant. Um, I mean, it's nothing new, but the, the but yeah, it's just just the way it ends. It kind of leaves it. Very, very clear what happens, I think, in the final phrase, which I won't speak just for anyone that's not seen the film. I will get there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you noticed this gym has a sushi bar in it. A sushi bar? Yeah. Delicious post-workout sushi. I think it's about the the only thing that um, the Starbody Spa doesn't have at this point, so it's good to see. (laughs) (laughs) I quite like the fact as well that when we cut back to the bar, um, earlier on there was a girl who, just around the time of the first murder... Kind of, uh, kind of pretends to kind of blend her own hand off with a blender, and then inevitably that actually happens near the end, which is another death that I quite like. Well, this is the start of Catherine's rampage, I guess you would call it. She chews off this woman's hand. <laughs> Weirdly, uh, Tom's head explodes at a at a soda, which is superb. Yeah, Tom's exploding head's spectacular. No, definitely. Yeah, I mean the effects, the effects are great. I mean, the the blend. I wish I wish I could have seen more. That's not that's another scene that I'd read about beforehand uh, before watching the film, and I expected more bloodshed, but I didn't get it. But no, the exploding head's amazing. I love the fact that you're enduring criticism of this entire film, Howard. Is that every time someone dies, you wish you were watching it for three more minutes? <laughs> that's, 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 but, I mean, that's why I said it. It feels like it takes place in twenty minutes. And it, I just wanted to feel like it took place for at least over half an hour. <laughs> Priscilla is attacked by a mirror uh, and she explodes. Yep. <laughs> that's that's incredible. That's my favourite death, actually. Well, my favourite death, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, might be the death of Lieutenant Fletcher. Oh, now. <laughs> okay, let me think that's the fish death, no? <laughs> he says Correct. He says nonchalantly as if it's the most perfectly <laughs> normal <laughs> sentence in the world. <laughs> death by someone, of course. Yeah. Yes. Which, which, which are presumably machine-operated? Again. I presume so. It definitely looks like it. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's machines, whether it's supernatural, or whether it is the, the act of someone out to get some kind of insurance money. Uh, it's, incredible. To, it's a satisfying visual. To bring a frozen fish back to life and have it attack a man to the point that it tears his jugular out. 
is unbelievable at best. It's, 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 it's pretty spectacular. It really is. It reminds me of another film. I can't remember the name of it now. A, a, a buddy cop film with the zombie. They, get, they turn into zombies. I can't remember what was it called. Oh. And there's a scene where they go, they go to a, like a Chinese restaurant and all of the poultry and stuff comes back to life. I can't remember what the name of the film is now. Uh, if anyone out there is listening and wants to jog our memories, then please do that. We would be incredibly grateful. Yeah, fire in. Um, but aye, if you're wondering if this film is a man killed by a frozen fish, then yeah, it does. <laughs> it does, believe it or not. The actual kind of end, the way the ending of this unfolds is really pretty brutal, I think, in terms of like story. Michael tries to kind of blow the power in there. <laughs> I tell you, are you going to try and blow past the moment where... Uh, Michael tries to, or Michael saves Laura from the sun. Oh, sorry, no, yeah. from the sunbed. That that was the bit that got the loudest laugh out of you. Uh, one of the best one-liners. That's the one where he says, "Fuck this computer shit, no." <laughs> it's also the moment where he tries to get in the door, can't, so instead runs and smashes through a window. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's incredible. Yeah, it's like it's 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 it looks so unnatural. It just looks like he could just push the door open and it just stops and just kind of like sideways flops through it. There's a there's a couple of moments of just kind of really weird mo- like really weird interactions and weird decisions for Michael. There's one right ages ago that I meant to talk about where he's sitting, he's asleep at his desk. Sure. Um, and he wakes up for a second and picks up a picture of his wife, looks at it, looks sad, and rather than considering he's ob- obviously fallen asleep at work, rather than like getting up and leaving the office, he clicks his desk light off and goes back to sleep. <laughs> Oh, fuck it, he's, he's, he's going to have to be in there in the morning anyway. <laughs> this is very true. So, no, um, so I wasn't necessarily surprised when he just kind of like, uh, when he like fish flops through the glass the way he does. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. I actually I can't believe I almost didn't talk about that. It's genuinely my favourite moment in the film. <laughs> about 20 seconds later, Ken Forey is thrown through a window. So, yeah. Uh, there's a whole pile of broken glass by the end of this. <laughs> yeah, I think that the actual, the way, the, the way the actual end of this plays out is, is kind of fun and pretty nasty in that like yeah michael kind of like he tries to blow the power ends up causing an electrical fire yeah, um yeah. everyone's trapped inside uh catherine manipulates the doors closed sure of course. Um, standard uh, ghostly phenomena yeah um really really kind of really nasty stuff catherine overpowers david effectively yeah this was one of the, my favorite ghost scenes as well when we yeah we see catherine right at the end oh, yeah. after the yeah the burn it's superb yeah Basically, exploding eyeball and yeah <laughs> It's mighty. It's mighty. Uh, Michael uh, overcharges a computer which seems to set Catherine on fire, reducing her to essentially this kind of charred form. Just when you think again, you know the way you always think, oh, well, that's it, that's the end, the, the, the big bad's dead. She kind of goes to jump up and uh, Sergeant Stone just shoots her to pieces. <laughs> and you think, well, that's it certainly now. And then everybody's fine, everybody's safe, the doors are open, the, the evil is gone. And then, as you say, you get this incredible kind of end scene where it's like, I'll be back for the sequel. Um, <laughs> but then it's just like, just when you think, I'll be back for the sequel, then her face explodes. And like, <laughs> her, eyes, her eyes erupt in this weird, jizzy white fluid. Like, <laughs> it makes not a lick of sense. Um, and then it just kind of freeze frames and it's, it's magnificent. It's, 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 I think you could distill this, the essence of this whole film down to that last 30 seconds because it, none of it makes any sense. 
but it's glorious. Oh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's the perfect glorious ending to the story. Right? It's brilliant. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree. Absolutely, I can't believe we've spoken for almost an hour and no one has mentioned the fact that the film's alternative title is Witch Bitch. Yeah, that would have kind of given given things away, I don't know. Uh, yes, agreed. I think that it probably would have been a little bit spoiler heavy. But then. You say that, but there's no way, even going into a film called Witch Bitch, there's no way you expect it, A, to be set in a gym. Yes, true. To be largely surrounding the mechanics of a gym controlled by a sentient AI. (laughs) (laughs) With you so far. What about the poster? (laughs) Oh, yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah. Part of me kind of wishes it was, just so people would be like, what? (laughs) In fact, see if you were like, Here's the title, if it was Witch Bitch, and it's like, here's the title, here's the synopsis, here's the poster. I'd be like, no, this is three different films. <laughs> well, there's 20 films in the end anyway, so <laughs> it doesn't make any yeah. um, Howard, we have been looking for an excuse to talk about this film for quite a while. Um, we're, we're both pretty big fans of it. We were very, very, like, as soon as, I know you came out uh, asked with some other suggestions, but as soon as you said that's bad, like, we have to do it. We have to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, glad, I was glad you went with this one as well, because it's, uh, it just cracks me up every time. It's brilliant. I was in Italy, uh, and I received a text from Mitch that just said, Howard wants to do Death Spa, this is not a drill. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, I was just overcome with joy. Yeah. The fact that n- not more people have seen this film is utterly criminal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it did actually come out, I don't know if it came out over in the UK, but it came out in America, they re-released it with... Um, with a, a documentary, a 50 minute documentary extra, which I haven't seen, but oh I've, I've heard it's amazing. Yeah, oh my God. yeah I, I, I want to know everything about this. I think it came out. It's, I can't remember who it was now, but it was in 2014 they released a, uh, it was, was re released and it came out with a 50 minute documentary called An Exercise in Terror The Making of Death Spa, 51, 51 minute documentary on the 2014 Blu ray release. Oh, nice. See. An Exercise in Terror. An Lovely. Exercise in Terror. And it's actually quite an easy film to get your hands on. Like, it's available on Amazon Prime. Yeah, so it's accessible. I, I would 100% urge people to watch this because there's just so much to love. It's crazy, it's bonkers, and it's... Uh, I'm I'm just so glad it exists, Mitch. Yeah, I mean, I'm much the same, I must say. And I mean, like, obviously, we've spent a decent amount of the time here kind of like poking fun at certain things about it that don't add up and don't make sense and look weird and stuff like that. All of that really just kind of adds to the charm of the thing for me like um i I don't know how much of i like i don't know how much of this was like succeeds for the reasons that it wanted to but it does not matter no 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 it doesn't matter i mean the the beauty of this film is is exactly that it's just none of it makes sense it's just camp just totally campy and that's what's just what's so brilliant about it yeah i can just watch it over and over again so many times and just but I, I'm going to have to watch it again and have to see the microphone bit that I missed. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your eyes peeled for it. It's pretty glaring yeah. now that you know it's coming up. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, the acting's pretty bad across the board. It, and as we've said a thousand times, the story doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But you know, it doesn't matter because it's never not entertaining. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Exactly. I mean, if the, if the, if the, cast, if the, uh, the acting wasn't as wooden as it was, and if, and if the deaths weren't as, as deft as they are, it wouldn't, I don't think it would have been anywhere near as successful as it is now. No, yeah. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked half as well, yeah, I yeah, agree. Yeah. <laughs> Howard, you have been very busy lately. Um, lots of writing in lots of places. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't be happier, really. Obviously, I've been writing for, with Screen Magazine for quite a while now. Um, but yeah, just the last... About three, three, four months ago, I, uh, I started with Bloody Disgusting as well, I mean. 
Right. Uh, and then literally, I think about two, three weeks ago, NME hired me as well to start writing stuff on horror. I had no idea that they uh, they had stuff on horror, but uh, they've got a whole film section uh, over on their website, and, and there's a, even a, a horror, uh, specifically horror dedicated section on the site. So I. Uh, Definitely recommend checking that out. Yeah, oh, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't seen that that was a thing at all until uh, you posted about it, and I went and checked it out. It's a pr- pretty cool thing that they have that they have that going. Yeah, no, it's. it's I mean, they've, they've been writing things about movies for years, but um, but I oh, know I was speaking to the uh, the deputy editor the other day, and he's, he's they're thinking of kind of boosting a bit more of the uh, horror stuff because it, it, it does does get quite a lot of readers. So uh, from here to well, October, November, we're hoping to uh, to pump out plenty of content over there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice, that's yeah. cool. Where can people keep up with you social media-wise and things like that? Um, social media? On Twitter, uh, Howard Gorman, uh, and Instagram, Hauser75. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Those are, those are the main places, really. And then obviously, you're, I mean, you, you can look up just Howard Gorman and type in, like, Bloody Disgusting or Screen Magazine, whatever, and you'll find, find uh, stuff up there. Cool. Superb. Ah. Oh. Uh, Howard, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it, and yeah, especially especially thanks for picking uh, picking Death Spa. Death Spa. Yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm glad I uh, I uh, made uh, your trip to Italy a little bit better. <laughs> you did, you did. <laughs> I, if anything, it kind of made me more keen to get home. I was like, oh god, I've got to watch Death Spa when I get home. That's the best thing ever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I flew on my own on my own wings. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I, I just just found uh, that I was meant to, I mentioned the film about um, dead chickens that came back to life. It's oh yes, right. Called Dead Heat. Oh, oh right, okay. Dead right. Heat, nine eighty eight. That's not a good one. Go, yeah. Body cop movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they basically go to like a I think it's a Chinese restaurant and uh, zombie chickens and dead pigs come back to life again and attack <laughs> the police. <laughs> never, <laughs> it's got to be seen to be believed. Never seen a zombie poultry film I didn't like. Howard, thanks so much. Howard, thank you so much for doing this, man. So, finally, a chance to talk about Death Spa. Yeah. Long time coming. Yes, I'm thrilled. (laughs) And a big thank you to Mr. Howard Gorman for joining us to talk about that. And I suppose that's just about it for another one. Yeah, yeah. Sad that Death Spa's out the way, though. Yeah, however. Bring on Bud the Chud. (laughs) I was going to say, the fun never stops, though, because we are back Monday. Yes, we are indeed. Minisode 60 coming your way, where we will, of course, do all the usual things. We're taking a look at what we've been watching this week. I'll have been watching a bunch. (laughs) I'll have hopefully seen some stuff. Yeah, I'd like to think so. You've got some slack to pick up after last week. I don't care if you're on holiday eating pasta. You've got to watch some films, man. (laughs) Just kicking it like Super Mario. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll be tracking my progress through the Shockwaves 100 as well, of course. And, of course, playing another round of Mitch's Pitches. If you want to get in touch with us between now and then, loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet mm-hmm. us as well at Strong Violent PC. Ooh. You can also email us if you'd like. Strong... How saucy. <laughs> Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. That's a pure fantasy that we keep saying that. (laughs) You can always email us, guys. Please. It's open for business. Yeah, and uh, tons of places you can listen, but we are advocating strongly for iTunes, Spotify, and our home at Podbean. Get on it. And don't forget, whichever one of those you're using, if you feel like helping us out and being a little bit generous, by all means, drop us a review, a like, share, comment, but over and above anything else, go on, just keep listening. Not just by all means. Please just do it. We would really like it. Uh, We would really (laughs) like some reviews. Uh, (laughs) You know what? Yeah, that would actually just be really nice. Please do it. Yeah. 
And I just want to say again, I know I've said it a few times now, but thank you to every single person who listens. We love you loads. Um, and we will continue to keep bringing you the entertainment that you've come to expect. Yeah, uh, and whether you joined us at episode 0 or episode 60, it's great to have you here and we do appreciate it. But if you've joined us at episode 60, you're going to go back and download them all. Yeah, yeah, they're all there. <laughs> I mean, like, you don't have to listen to them, just download them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that would be the biggest help. <laughs> we are back Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.